Do you actually have to be on cocaine to be on this podcast? What is up, everybody? You're listening to yet another edition of Cocaine Willie. I am your commissioner, Bob Trollsby, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, the good chef, Andre Napier, and Fireball, Matt Marcusini. Tonight, we have a game to preview at long last. The long offseason is over, and we are previewing uh, the Kansas State Wildcats football matchup against the Red Hawks of Southeast Missouri State. You're to be on cocaine to be on this podcast. Thought I turned off the loop. <laughs> Never mind. But we are still previewing the Red Hawks of Southeast Missouri State University this coming Saturday, September 2nd. And we're joined by senior FCS analyst from Hero Sports, Sam Herter, to help us preview the Red Hawks for this week one matchup. Sam, thank you a ton for joining tonight. I know you as the resident expert for FCS football on your annual show that you do with Philip Slavin from the 1012 Network and the 1012 Podcast. Go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit more about your role there at Hero Sports and your history in covering FCS football. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, and yeah, I'm the senior FCS analyst is the title they gave me for the website Hero Sports. Uh, we cover FCS, obviously, and Group of Five football for Hero Sports. Uh, I've been covering the FCS since about 2011 uh, when I was a student at North Dakota State. Um, and so I don't want to get off to a bad start, but I was there in the press box for the 2013 NDSU K-State <laughs> game. And so um, that was my first introduction to uh, the FCS. And then I... Um, graduated, uh, went into the newspaper world for a little bit, and then uh, about five-ish years ago, I came on full-time to start doing some FCS football writing. Awesome. Well, I mean, you, you're very familiar with Chris Kleiman then, so this is going to be a great yep. show since you you know all the ins and outs of, of North Dakota State and that system there. Yeah, yeah. I uh, uh, interviewed Coach Kleiman a number of times, have interviewed one-on-one a number of those assistant coaches that he brought with the, uh, with him uh, to K-State, and so um, know those coaches well and know, you know, overall the, the system that they're running at K-State. I'm just out of curiosity, what would you say was the most memorable moment in, a, in an interview that you have with Chris Kleiman? Um, oh, that's a good question. I don't know if there's one that, that sticks out because – like he's a, he's a good interview. He's a good quote, but you know, he's, he's so level-headed um, that like there, there's not like one moment where like he had a great soundbite or anything like that, that, that sticks out. I just remember one time when I was writing for Bison Illustrated um, uh, a magazine in Fargo, uh, you know, I, I asked, Hey, can I interview every single head coach or not head, every single coach on staff uh, at NDSU after they won one of their national titles? And surprisingly I was told yes. And um, they basically, I interviewed coach Kleiman and then he sent in an assistant and I talked to him and then he sent in another system assistant and I talked to him and you know, that level of access, even at the FCS level, is pretty hard to come by. And, you know, I think usually the head coach has to approve stuff like that. And so um, I just remember him being super, super easy to work with media wise. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. The reason I asked that question is because a, a fellow K-State podcast, uh, the Bosco's boys and, and shout out to Scott Wildcat, uh, who's a friend of all of ours, but he interviewed Chris Kleiman right after Kleiman first got there. And he 
has a tendency to ask some silly questions and Kleiman was so businesslike. He just refused to, to ask, answer some of the questions. Uh, I think it was, what is your, like, what would be your go-to karaoke song if you were at a, at a karaoke bar and Kleiman just refused to answer the question and the interview was over. And mind you, he led that question off before that one with boxers or briefs. So, I mean, <laughs> classic. Um, I know uh, we want to definitely preview this game upcoming uh, this upcoming Saturday and Southeast Missouri state is they ended the last season on a high, you know, they won nine games, made the playoff uh, the FCS playoffs throughout the past five seasons. Um, looking at last season, they've had three losses. Um, they lost to an Iowa state team who did not have a great year in the big 12 uh, 42 to 10. They had a close midseason loss to Eastern Kentucky, 28-23, and then they ended their season with a loss um, in the first round of the FCS playoff to Montana. But this season, they come into, uh, into 2023 as the 11th-ranked FCS team in the country, um, according to your outlet hero. And uh, they're currently the preseason favorite to repeat as champs of the Big South Ohio Valley Conference. So what has driven their recent success? What's the cause for the hype around the team this season? Yeah, Cibo is a is a squad that, as you mentioned, we've seen that we've seen them in the playoffs uh, a few times the last few years. Uh, you know, they're not. Uh, we always say um, we like to say with teams like Cibo or like Eastern Washington, they do a lot with a little. You know, they don't have great facilities. They don't have you know a huge budget or anything like that. They don't have the tradition like a Montana or a North Dakota State or um, you know the the passionate fan base of a South Dakota State or a Montana State. But they're still consistently. Um, always solid and they don't they take some transfers here or there but they're not an fcs program that that like you know like a uiw or a jackson state that have taken in like 20 fbs transfers this offseason they they kind of pick and choose who, who they want to bring in and so um it's just an overall good program uh, that continues to rise up um, and they have a lot of talent coming back from last year it's you know you never want to say a same look team because they do lose some guys here or there a couple of good offensive linemen but overall all of their top playmakers on offense are coming back uh, most of their uh, impact guys on defense are coming back. Um, and so, I mean, is Simo, are they South Dakota state this year? Are they a North Dakota state? No, but they're a, you know, a good solid FCS team that, you know, is first, second round exit type of team. That's, you know, kind of in that top 15, top 10 range. Yeah. I mean, you kind of just led right into the question that I have. I mean, you, you talk about the offensive weapons and two that come to mind for me are uh, a running back, Gino Hess, um, number three of, uh, all the running backs and, and Zach Gregg, who's listed as the third best returning O lineman. In addition to those guys, uh, I don't even know how to say his name. Wide receiver Ryan Flowerney, Flowerney is listed as a member of Reese's uh, Senior Bowl watch list. What are uh, what makes those guys so special, and what do they contribute to this team? Yeah, starting with Geno Hess, he's, uh, you know, one of the top running backs in the FCS. Uh, I think he's a six-year senior now. Um, he already has a bunch of SEMO career records. Um, you know, he's, I think he's like five foot eight, 220 some pounds. And so he's like a small compact guy, um, bounces off a lot of tackles, you know, he's shifty as well. And so, um, you know, you can't, you can't arm tackle him or else he's going to escape those type of tackles. Um, yeah. You mentioned Zach gig. Uh, he won the, uh, the Remington award last year, which goes to the best FCS center. Um, and so they lose a couple of other all conference uh, offensive linemen, um, which obviously hurts, but he's kind of the, the leader of that offensive line. I um, mean that, and then, yeah, uh, 
Ryan Flirinoy is, uh, um, I, I think it's Flirinoy. Uh, I, I also could be very wrong on that. Uh, but him, and then they have another wide receiver, Vic. Um, I think Vic is 6'4", Flirinoy is like 6'2". And so they have, you know, big-bodied wide receivers on the outside to kind of complement what Geno Hess um, is doing. And then at the quarterback position um, as well, Paxton DeLaurent, uh, he had a great debut season last year. Um, he transferred to SEMO from... Uh, I think it was an NAI school uh, last year was his first year at SEMO and he played really well, you know, six, four, six, five uh, quarterback, big arm. Um, and so that's kind of the, the offensive firepower there for SEMO. And those, uh, those position rankings, those came from Opta analyst and, and the same, same publication has two guys listed as top five returners in their position and all of FCS on the defensive side with Lawrence Johnson listed as the number one returning DB at the FCS level and Bryce Norman listed as the fifth best returning linebacker at the FCS level. So tell us a little bit more about what we can expect from those guys, those guys in the matchup and, and then SEMO's defense as a whole on Saturday. Yeah, I really like Bryce Norman, uh, the middle linebacker for SEMO. Uh, you know, a freshman All-American uh, two years ago. We also do sophomore FCS sophomore All-Americans at Hero Sports. So last year he was a sophomore All-American. Um, I think already in two seasons he's over 200 career ta- uh, tackles. Um, and so you know, uh, nice frame, uh, kind of your 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 nice looking middle linebacker there uh, to kind of hold hold his own there. Uh, yeah, Lawrence Lawrence Johnson was super super productive. Um, he's like a a safety nickelback outside linebacker rover, you know, whatever you want to call him. But uh, they let him roam the field quite a bit. And he's made plays. He made a lot of plays last year, whether it was defending the run, defending the pass. So super productive guy, Um, potential, you know, seventh round draft pick undraft undrafted free agents, you know, with his uh, mix of size and athleticism. I think just his film too uh, stands out as well. So those are, um, yeah, those are the the two big names on the defensive side, Uh, I guess overall for CMOS defense, I think their front seven should be pretty solid this year. Um, They're top 15 last year in rush defense. Most of their guys are coming back. Uh, The secondary wasn't great last year. They were like 105th, 102nd in passing defense in the FCS last year. And so that's, that's one area that, that, that they uh, certainly need to, to get better at this year. And uh, so thinking about um, Southeast Missouri state uh, for this game, I mean, for, for K-State, we've played FCS teams typically the first game of the year very recently, and um, some of those games have been hit or miss. Um, South Dakota um, has been one of those teams, at least in the past, although last year we were able to, to beat up, up on them pretty bad. The last meeting was deep into the fourth quarter. Um, to try and maybe pull an upset better, at least keep the, uh, this matchup competitive um, on Saturday, what are some keys? What do you think it's going to take for them to, to try and keep the score close? Yeah, I think SEMO needs to hold up in the trenches for all four quarters. Um, and that's kind of the key is doing it for all four quarters because, you know, maybe maybe they have the front seven to hold their own for two, two and a half quarters. Maybe the offensive line can, can get a decent push and, you know, Geno Hess maybe breaks off a, a long run here or there where – you know, maybe they, they stick in there for, for two quarters. Uh, but we see often when it comes to FCS versus FBS, especially at the power five level where, um, things just kind of snowball in the wrong direction for FCS teams because there's, you know, 85 scholarships at the FBS level, 63 at the FCS level. Um, obviously just overall talent wise, you know, K-State is going to have the edge talent wise. And so, doing your best to physically hold up for all four quarters, um, is key. I think this could be a close game at halftime, but, uh, you know, I don't know if we're going to do predictions, but I'm, my guess is in the second half is, is when K-State might extend their lead to 
21 points and then kind of, you know, 28 points. Man, I, get me all fired up with that prediction right now. I mean, I'll take it. You know, this these games always make me a little nervous. But I, I kind of have a, a question, not necessarily at SEMO, but just overarching with the FCS level. You know, Bob, Bob brought up that SEMO is 11th in the country in FCS. But my question is, like, what does that mean? Like, um, how how dis- how different are the top 25 teams in the country? Like, you know, we got the number one team in, in Alabama or Georgia or whatever, and the 25, the 25th team could be Tulane or, you know, some G5 school. Is 11 so far off in the FCS level where the talent at the top is – you know, so far off, how, how would you describe the top 25 in FCS? Yeah, there is a huge top heaviness in the FCS. Um, that's kind of a, a main discussion point within just the FCS community or FCS media is just the top heaviness uh, of the subdivision, uh, especially when you have, you, know, you look at the last 10, 10 or so years, the amount of good FCS teams that have moved up, whether App State, Coastal Carolina, Marshall, James Madison, um, and even even when some of those teams were in the FCS, it still was pretty top heavy. Uh, you know, for North Dakota State has won nine of the last eleven national titles. Um, they still are really really good. Their rival South Dakota State has overtaken them uh, to be that number one team. Uh, but if any team outside of North Dakota State or South Dakota State or maybe Montana State wins the FCS national title this year, I would be blown away shocked. Um, there's a heavy divide even between South Dakota State and North Dakota State. And I think there's a heavy divide between North Dakota State and, and Montana State. And so when you go from 1-2 to 11, I mean, SEMO is good. They're a good quality FCS team. But if they played South Dakota State, they would probably lose by 21 points. Um, and so that is, you know, kind of the big divide there um, in the FCS where you could be a top 10 team in the FCS, num- the number nine team in the FCS, and you're probably still not going to come close to winning an FCS title because those top two teams are, are that much better than, than everyone else, especially lately. Now I, I'm a huge college football fan. Um, and I do keep track of a particular FCS school, the U Albany great Danes. Um, I grew up in Albany and, uh, they beat up on the Fordham Rams this past weekend, week zero football. Um, but thinking about FCS very recently, it's basically, it feels like it's all about North Dakota State. It's all about South Dakota State. Um, you have them one, two um, in your preseason uh, poll um, for 2023. What are you expecting from those two teams? And, and right now, I mean, would you pencil them in? Do you think they're going to repeat as attendees of the uh, national championship game this upcoming year? Yeah, odds are, are, pretty favorable that we do see a rematch now with, you know, the, the FCS playoff bracket, um, you know, that's the fun thing about the FCS 24 team bracket where, you know, if NDSU drops a couple of games this regular season, because they do have some question marks, you know, they could be the four seed and South Dakota state could be the five or the number one seed. Um, and, you know, they have to obviously play in the semifinals then. And there have been times in the past where the two best teams haven't met in the title game just because of where the seeding um, and all that was. Uh, but yeah, I would, I would, I mean, South Dakota state, it's them versus the field. You know, the Jacks have a majority of their guys uh, coming back besides Tucker Kraft, who's now with the green Bay Packers. Um, and they, they really took it to NDSU. It was really a, a reversal of roles where 
NDSU always had the upper hand and would take it to South Dakota State in the playoffs. Last year's title game, South Dakota State just, you know, physically dominated NDSU, which from an FCS perspective was 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 shocking because they basically did what NDS they did to NDSU what NDSU usually does to everyone else. Uh, the Bison have a lot of question marks this year at North Dakota State, uh, probably the most question marks they've had since 2010. But again, going back to that top heaviness, you know, who's ready to catch NDSU? Montana State looks best built to catch NDSU. But after that top three, you know, I think there's, there's a gap there between the fourth, fifth, and sixth best teams. Man, that gets me hyped, man. Like, I know I'm a playoff hater, like, but just that whole 24, like, team bracket, that is nuts. That, just so much football. Everything's on the line. I got another, like, you know, it's not out there, but, like, just overall FCS, because this is a world that, you know, I just don't, I'm not in. But this past year, uh, what is it? Lindenwood, Stonehill, uh, what is it? Texas A&M, Commerce. Yep. Uh, they all made the jump to FCS. Uh, Jacksonville State and Sam Houston, they're going to FBS this year. I think Jacksonville State just played and won, I think. I'm yeah, not sure. they did. Uh, they're, they're, they're a salty team. Um, and Sam Houston's always seems like they were top of the cream of the crop. Um, but when it comes to FCS football and teams jumping from, I don't even know what the level below FCS is. It Division Two. Yeah, I guess I guess, D- it, I guess D2, it just yeah. depends. But uh, we're going through conference realignment and FBS, and you know that's every what everybody's talking about. And you brought it up earlier. You know, teams just kind of going back and forth between FCS and FBS and all that stuff. Is it similar? Like when a team leaves. Uh, from FCS to FBS, and does it mess like a lot of conferences up and you know traditions and stuff like that? And also, I want to know uh, who who replaces Jacksonville State and at Sam Houston. Like, if if for those conferences, do they automatically have to look for somebody to come in? I know I'm all over the place, but you know, <laughs> no, know. no, you're you're spot on because that is also another big talking point in the FCS. I, there might be FCS people that talk about realignment just as much as power five people, because uh, I mean, when Oklahoma um, and Texas left uh, that, they probably didn't even realize it, but that, that, that almost put a lot of FCS conferences in shambles because that trickled down into the G5 realignment where uh, the big 12 had to add teams. And then uh, conference USA had to add teams. The Sunbelt had to add teams. They went into uh, the FCS um, and then there was some FCS versus FCS realignment. The ASUN and the WAC started their own. Uh, the WAC restarted football. The ASUN started football. They purged um, uh, like the Big South and the Southland and the OVC, um, which is why we have the OVC Big South merger. And so I would argue that realignment has wreaked havoc on the FCS you know, worse than, than the power five, because there have been multiple conferences on life support where the ASUN and the WAC, they're in, they've now had to combine uh, to be one conference because they didn't have enough members. The Big South and the OVC were down to like four members each because of all this realignment. So they had to combine um, and form one joint football league. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough because FCS to FBS move ups have, they've always happened. Like, Boise State was in Division One AA at, at one point, and it's always been, well, you know, Boise State moves up, and then you know Youngstown State takes over as the power, and Marshall and App State take over as the power. Well, they leave, and then James Madison and North Dakota State they took take over as the power. Um, you know, Jacksonville State leaves. You know, South Dakota State is now rising up, and so we've always kind of had this where 
teams build and they go, they go to the FBS and then other teams step up. But we're getting to a point now where you look up and when you le- when the FCS loses three blue bloods every three, four years, now we look up and go, okay, how many teams in the FCS really take football seriously where they're investing in football and they have passionate fan bases and football matters to the university. All of a sudden that number keeps on going down and down. And yeah, when you, you lose James Madison and then you bring in Lindenwood, you know, at different conferences, but you know, overall you, you lose a team to the FBS, you bring in D two teams. And so that's the kind of concern with the FCS is, you know, North Dakota state and South Dakota state, they're not getting FBS invites anytime soon because where they're located. And so is it going to be South Dakota state and North Dakota state playing in Frisco every year while conference USA keeps on taking Southern based teams um, and, and keeps on kind of watering down the FCS. And so that's, um, you know, a, a long answer to your question, but yeah, realignment is, is a major, major top topic in the FCS. No, that was perfect. I mean, that's, that's kind of exactly how I was imagining because I think of it, I think of, FCS and no offense to FCS, but I kind of think of it like a revolving door, like these teams that, you know, build themselves up and then all of a sudden they're, you know, they're ready. I I think that's like, I was reading something about like, you know, having to have a certain amount of students and all that stuff, but I I don't know if that was true, but you know, it's, it's nuts what the landscape, how the triple effect works. I appreciate answering that question. Yeah. And I think what a lot of FCS fans are hoping for now is, uh, you know, this might just be an FCS discussion because the group of five certainly doesn't want this. The G5 wants to attach itself to the power five as long as possible. But, you know, kind of the hope down here in the FCS is the power five splits off and does its own thing. And then the 50, 60 remaining G5 teams, whatever it is, they merge with, they bring up like the top 10, top 15 FCS teams. And there's a new division one double a that has its own 24 team playoff and then the fcs is now division one triple a they keep on doing their their usual playoffs but now you kind of have that that middling of the g5 in the fcs i think that's kind of what a lot of people are hoping for now just because that that is that situation is so much more fun for north dakota state playing and, and still being able to compete for a national title in that g5 fcs merger compared to now where ndsu can't even sell out semifinal games anymore because they're just it, plain incarnate word in Illinois state just doesn't move the needle for NDSU fans anymore. Cause they've been winning titles for 10 years, 11 years. They want something different, but they're located in Fargo, North Dakota and no FBS conferences have come stiff in NDSU when it comes to adding potential FCS teams. Well, that's super interesting too, because your point about it being pretty top loaded that you made earlier, if you bring in some G5 teams and, or, or at least combine some of those top 10, 15 teams mm-hmm. from FCS with the G5, I feel like it, it, it makes that parity a little bit better at the top end for those 10 to 15 teams who are at that top, that the upper echelon, if you will, for, for uh, FCS. So that's, that's super interesting that you bring that up. Yeah. And, um, and that, that makes it more fun for SEMO too. Like, I, like yeah. I talked about at the top, like, in this new three, three tier of division one, now SEMO can legitimately com- contend for an FCS national title right, where right now. They're, they're just never going to top what NDSU and South Dakota state can do. So I think it's win, 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 but that's, that's, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. The power five split not, but I guess we'll have to see. For sure. Yeah. There's a lot of speculation about the big two and, and what that mm-hmm. can mean or the big three, if you, if you throw the big 12 a bone or not, but 
Um, I've got two questions. So the first one, this came from a, one of the listeners of the show, Ema Tom on Twitter. And he asked, how big of a loss do you see Tyler Nalom being for SEMO this year? And does he have what it takes to be a contributor at the Power 5 level? And, of course, he's talking about Tyler Nalom, uh, who's a SEMO transfer to K-State that happened this offseason at cornerback. Yeah, I, I mean, Tyler was an impact player uh, for SEMO. For um, you know, he wasn't, I don't know if he was necessarily, um, you know, a standout. He wasn't like All-American or, or All-Conference level. Uh, the top cornerback last year for SEMO was Ty Leonard, uh, who is coming back uh, this year. And so um, is it a, a, a huge loss? I don't know if it's a huge loss, but, um, you know, cornerbacks are, are especially, I mean, defensive backs, I guess, overall are, are kind of tough to recruit at the FCS level. Um, and so, you know, the fact that he has gone to, uh, you know, the power five shows that he does have that raw talent. Uh, K-State has had success uh, bringing in um, FCS transfers at DB. You know, Josh Hayes, uh, he came from where? I think West Virginia. Uh, but Virginia. Before... Virginia, yeah. Okay, okay, Virginia. But before that, he was at NDSU. And so yep. um, he came from the FCS level. And so, um, yeah, there's FCS to FBS transfers. That's another topic, the amount of guys transferring to the FBS. Uh, but there are actually two times as many FBS guys coming to the FCS. Um, it's not always an even, an even trade two for one there when you do lose some standouts, but um, yeah, I don't, I guess I don't know where he's at on the depth chart, but can he make an impact for sure? Maybe that's on special teams to kind of, until he gets comfortable with, with the scheme. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the, his raw talent is there. Cause I think he had a decent amount of P five offers once he was in the, in the transfer portal. Yeah. And that, and that brings me to my second question, which is, you know, you, you alluded to Josh Hayes there as a North Dakota state guy, you obviously know about Josh Hayes and, and his career trajectory that he had where he finished up at K state and ended up being a draft pick to, to Tampa Bay, which was a great story. And he was a truly like a plug and play guy with Klanderman's offense. He was going from one system that he knew probably didn't have that success at Virginia in part because of injuries, but in part because he was playing in a different system and then comes to K state and has tremendous success there. Another guy who's similar to him that everybody's been making this comparison this offseason is Marquis Siegel, uh, who also mm -hmm. transferred from North Dakota State to K-State. So I'm curious from your perspective, what do you think about that move for Marquis Siegel and, and what do you think he brings to the K-State defense? Yeah, he he's playing safety now, right? Yeah, yeah they converted him. Okay, yeah, because he was, he was supposed to be NDSU's top corner uh, this year. And so him transferring was kind of um, a, a big surprise. Uh, NDSU lost their top three cornerbacks from last year and their top three safeties. Uh, half of those came to, uh, to the, the transfer portal. Um, and, and I know uh, Siegel was, was highly, highly recruited. Um, like I said, he was expected to be maybe the top defensive back for, uh, for NDSU this year. And so I think um, he has you know, I, and I, I can't go in depth with it, but he probably has a much better chance uh, to make an impact for K-State's defense this year. All right. I'm going to throw it over to the other two guys. If there are any final questions. I mean, I can do this all day. You know, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm so pumped for Simo. Can I know Matt might, might you have another one, Matt? No, I'm excited. I'm excited to hear what, where you go with this. No, it's it's all football. You know, I I really don't remember ever watching SEMO at all, and I'm kind of like wondering what kind of offense do they run? What kind of defense do they run? And I I haven't watched any film on them. Not that it's my job to do that, but you know, it kind of is yours. So, what kind of offense and what kind of defense do they run? Is it because everybody's kind of switching over to that three three five, and 
I don't know if they do that at FCS. Is that is that a thing that Simo we would see? Yeah, as far as you know, defensively, I can't remember off the top of my head what their base is, but you do see a lot of three-three-five um, in the FCS, uh, especially you know when you can have. Uh, it seems like a lot of FCS teams like to have that fifth DB that is you know a, a bit of a, a rover like like a Lawrence Johnson who we talked about earlier. Um, as far as the offense, things start with Geno Hess. Uh, you know, the, the running back. Uh, they want to establish their run. The uh, the run. Uh, they want to play a physical brand of football. You know, they're not necessarily spread you out, four wide receivers, go tempo, tempo, tempo. They they, they want to play a physical brand of football. Um, but, you know, they, they played Iowa State last year, and, and my girlfriend's uh, brother-in-law is um, a huge Iowa State fan. And I remember him telling me um, that SEMO's bigger wide receivers like gave Iowa State uh, problems last year. Um, and I think a couple of those, a couple of those receivers are coming back this year that were transfers last year. So you know, I, d- I didn't know a whole lot about those guys, you know, at the time, but um, they gave I- uh, Iowa State fits last year. Um, so they kind of have, you know, a good balance there where they want to establish the run. They want to be a power run game with Geno Hess, uh, but they got two big body receivers on the outside where, um, you know, if, if you are an FCS defense and you sell out to stop the run, because uh, I mean, K-State doesn't have to sell to stop the run, you know, they could play their base and, and, and be fine. But for other FCS teams, if they sell out to stop a guy like Geno Hess, you know, there, there just aren't a lot of cornerbacks in the FCS that are 5'10", 5'11", on average that can go one-on-one with those taller wide receivers. And so, um, I don't know if that's a super great X's and O's answer answer there on that, but uh, uh, yeah, that's what I got. That that took care of me because I'm I'm wondering like how you already explain how they're going to attack, but whether it's coming from like a spread them out because that Geno S kid, I mean he he scares the piss out of me. Those you know those bowling ball because Matt brought it up earlier. The the FCS teams that we struggled with, uh, what was it, Southern Illinois, maybe a couple years Southern ago, Illinois, when, yeah. That was when yeah. Sky got hurt. Sky, Sky got hurt, and they had a running back. I mean, he was big though. I mean, he was like six foot three, like two thirty, and he just yeah, it's Von Williams. Hand, yeah. yeah, they just hand the ball to that guy, and if Geno Hess is comparable, where he can he can take a, a take a couple hits and bounce off of you know early in the season when we're not used to tackling live and all that stuff, that those kind of players can hurt you real fast and. If they're handing it out of the eye or out of spread or whatever, as long as they get the ball to him, I, that concerns me. So that's kind yeah, of why it, I was asking. And you answered. Yeah, it. and they they do spread, uh, you know, a defense out. It's not like NDSU where it's you know two tight ends and then a fullback eye formation under center. They do spread you out with maybe three wide receivers, um, and then you know they. Uh, they hand the ball uh, to uh, to Geno Hess, and so it is. They they want to be a quote unquote power run game, but it's not in the traditional sense of, you know, two tight ends and a fullback, but they'll spread you out and try to get Geno Hess one-on-one with a linebacker. That makes sense. And, and chef, to your point, that does scare me a little bit too, because I think about a couple of the games last year where K-State did struggle. You think about Ty J Spears and what he was able to do with Tulane. And then you think about Robinson and what he was able to do with Texas. So I think if we're, if we're given a key to victory to, to SEMO, it's potentially having that power run game and, and seeing what they can do with that. Yeah. Well, Sam, we are we are done with our questions. We appreciate you coming on, but before you go, hit us with your final score prediction, and then plug whatever you've got going on, uh, where the people can find you and, and find your great work that you do with Hero Sports. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Sam Herder FCS. Uh, our website is HeroSports.com. And as far as a prediction, um, I think K State wins by 
21 points. Um, I think like a like a 35, 14. Well, see, I, I think Simo can maybe get more than four. So maybe like a, I don't know, 38, 17, uh, somewhere, somewhere, somewhere around there. Um, K-State win. I think, I think it'll be relatively close for a half and then K-State pulls away in the second half there. I'll go ahead and mark you down for 38-17. Yeah, let's do that. You yeah. off a little bit, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, part of me was kind of hoping that you would pick Simo to win just because last year we had our, our South Dakota guy. His name's Mark Wen. I don't know if you've you've interacted with him on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Well, he, he's, a, he's a USD fan. So. He is a, he's a huge USD homer. He picked, he picked oh, God, I, the Coyote, the Yotes. He picked them to win it all. And uh, yeah, we, we ended up not, uh, we, we won that game. So he was wrong in his prediction, but I was kind of hoping for a double reverse jinx there or something, but <laughs> Sam, we appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, and uh, best of luck this season and, and best of luck to the Bison as well. You've got three Bison fans here uh, by proxy because of coach Kleiman. Yeah, it should be a, another fun season. Uh, thank you guys for having me on. Yeah. Come back. Absolutely. On. Yeah. Thanks Sam. All right. Bye. All right, guys. Well, that was uh, that was a pretty damn good prediction, I would say. Uh, feeling good about Saturday? Am oh, I? I'm, I'm stressed, baby. You know, I'm. I don't know. I I think you know these these at the first game always gives me the nerves because you don't know what we're gonna look like. As much as we we're Big Twelve champions and all this stuff, we haven't seen them lace it up. And you know, Simo hasn't laced it up either. But these ones can get spicy real freaking quick yeah it seems like um, every other year we're struggling with the fcs team too so yeah and and i don't know if it's maybe a little bit of a change in tune for these games but if we think about the last two seasons the first game of the year we've looked really good we've looked prepared the stanford game and then the south that one two years ago wasn't it two years ago that was no yeah it was 21 that wasn't we played Stanford in Arlington two years ago. That was 2021. Oh and then we played God. at Stanford in 2016. 2016. We yes. played Stanford. Who was, who, when was Southern Illinois? Southern Illinois was three, two years ago. Three. 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 Oh, no. That, no, that no, was, was two years two, ago. It was two, years, was two ago. years ago. It was the so, same day I went, to, I went to Colorado A&M that day. But so how did Scholar- we play Stanford first? It, it, that was the first game of the year, Chef. And then we played Southern Illinois. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. I'm catching the Lukies. Yo, buffering. Anyway. Ah, whatever. <laughs> I mean, the, the Southern Illinois game, you you almost have to take a little bit with a grain of salt because Skylar Thompson did get hurt in that game. Um, but the past two seasons, the first game of the year, we've gone in and this team has been prepared. And they really dominated against Stanford and they dominated last last year. This is going to be – I mean, I think there's a lot of hype going into this game because there's a lot of hype in the team. And it's going to be where does the the preparation – does the preparation outweigh the general nervousness or anything that these guys are going to have going on in the field for the first time this year? Um, I, I think they're going to go in focused. It's business. Um, you'll hear my prediction maybe on another show. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I, I do think it's going to be a, a good game for us on Saturday. And hopefully it does it, it provides a little bit of a fight, at least in the first half. Um, and then they can find a way to really stretch it out in the second half. You kind of want to see. I mean, as much as I was just stressing and, you know, complaining about games being too tight and stuff, you kind of want to see that in the first game. 
you kind of want to see how they deal with adversity from a team that's not wearing purple that you've been seeing in camp for four weeks. So would it be nice for Simo to put up a fight? I think it would because this would be my last thing I say, but what we saw last year where versus uh, who did we play first game? South Dakota. South Dakota, we stomped them. We didn't even have to pass. And then Missouri, we go into that game, and we don't have to pass because it's a rainstorm. And, you know, that kind of built on where we didn't expand the playbook until it was too late, and we had to do it versus Tulane, and we just didn't have the guns. So, for me, I would like to see a little bit of fight where we have to expand the playbook, run away with it in the second half, similar to what our our guest prediction was. Yeah, I was just going to say I like what Sam had to say in that maybe the first half is a little bit closer and then K-State busted open in the, in the second half. And I would love to see Will Howard break the single game touchdown record at some point. I would I, I feel like this could be a good opportunity for that to happen. But as Matt alluded to, we will have a separate pod where we talk through our predictions. Uh, Chef's going to give a recipe for success. We're going to go through our predictions, our locks for the week. Uh, and then your favorite segment, Guys Talking Ball, we'll talk a little bit more about the depth chart and our takeaways from the depth chart, which was released on Monday. And for all of us here at Cocaine Willie, though, thank you for listening to the show on your podcast feeds or watching us here on YouTube. Do us a favor. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcast, leave us a five-star rating. Shout out to Swoy for the five-star rating, saying he loves Chef's insane takes and that we are a, quote, must-listen pod. Uh, so I love that from, from Deesoy. If you're watching on YouTube, give us a like on the video as well. And as always, you can follow the show on Twitter or Instagram or YouTube at Cocaine Willie or follow us individually. I am at Bob Trollsby. Fireball Matt is at Matt Marchesini. And Chef is at Chef Andre Napier. Chef, take us out. Cocaine's a hell of a drug, baby. We are all coke and no joke. Wildcat country. Lara. Lara.